everyone. May peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And this is this season's very first episode of The Whole Muslim. And I have with me my guest, Chaplain Sundus Kolaki. How are you, Chaplain? I'm really good, alhamdulillah. And I'm so, so honored to be a guest on your podcast. Um, doing well, enjoying the lovely weather. Uh, yes, in Southern California. Thank you so much for being here with us. And and as I mentioned, you are a chaplain and you have a master's in divinity in Islamic chaplaincy and plus a, a whole host of other things. You're an author of two books and so many things that um, I can't even get into. Um, you sent me your bio and I was like, oh, wow. Um, you serve as a chaplain for hospital staff, volunteer for police and for the community as well. It's a whole host of things. I mean, how do you do it, Sundas? It's all by the grace of God. Really, oh. that that is really my answer. It is by the grace of God and some very smart time management. Oh, <laughs> because you're married. You have two kids. I mean, I'm sitting there yes. like, I can't even do half of these things. <laughs> and you're like, especially with kids. Oh, wow. Alhamdulillah. It's all been in the past maybe five years that really oh, all of this wow. has come to fruition. So my kids are older. Just, mm. you know, disclaimer, it's they're, they're in high school now. So alhamdulillah, I have a oh. little bit more freedom to do what I need to do between the school hours. Um, and they're very, very understanding, as is my husband, very, very supportive. Alhamdulillah. Oh. So really without that support system, Shahla, none of this would be possible. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know that too. That, that's true. But again, um, before we get into any of that, I mean, I think what I would love if you could explain to us, me and my audience, for those who are listening to you and watching you on YouTube, what is chaplaincy and how is it different from being like a pastor or an imam? Because in in my mind, it's like when you see old movies, it's like it's the pastor who's the chaplain and everything in between. But there's a difference. If you could tell us what that difference is. Sure. Um, so a chaplain, kind of my textbook definition, is uh, an individual who provides emotional and spiritual support mm. to people who are experiencing a crisis. And this is usually done in a secular institution. So when we have hospitals, when we have uh, college campuses, we've got military uh, corrections facilities, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes in community spaces, in corporate spaces, so in other words, spaces where you wouldn't uh, ordinarily find a religious figure, a chaplain steps in to provide that uh, spiritual guidance. Plus, we put emotional support because, as we know, there is a growing percentage of, um, of, of non-religious uh, people or people who identify as non-religious but still mm -hmm. spiritual in America. Right. Um, and so we don't lead with the religious part so as not to turn anybody away from, from just the general support that we provide. So okay. I, am, I am clearly a Muslim mm -hmm. um, and I work actually at two hospitals. And what's interesting is at one hospital, I see only Muslim patients. Oh, wow. And at my other hospital, I am what they call an interfaith chaplain, which means that I see everybody. So oh. we're talking about people who don't identify with any sort of religion to Muslims, Jews, Christians, Catholics, etc. Um, and so, you know, both both ways or in both roles, my religion informs my ministry. And what I mean right. by that is I draw from the example of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, 
um, I draw from the principles and values of the Quran, my scripture, mm -hmm. to inform the ways in which I get, engage people, to help mm -hmm. me understand what it means to be a mercy to all of creation, like our Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Uh, what it means to uh, appreciate diversity in the world that, that God has created. Mm -hmm. um, like the verse in the Quran that says, we created you to nations and tribes in order to get to know one another. Mm -hmm. So my role as a chaplain then um, gets to be a little bit different from a pastor or an imam or a clergy member in that typically I'm not one who is preaching answers to people. Mm -hmm. I'm not teaching them about a certain way or approach to the religion. Mm -hmm. um, that is needed. Don't get me wrong. That, that is needed for those who are seeking it. Um, but in my space, what I'm doing is we call it um, accompanying people in their times of crisis or through their um, you know, internal chaos mm -hmm. and helping them uncover their solutions, their answers, asking mm -hmm. certain questions, reflecting back. It's, it's a, they call it like pastoral conversation, uh, pastoral counseling, although we're not therapists, we're not licensed therapists or counselors, but we do engage the same sort of um, you know, strategies and methodologies in order to kind of stand with or sit with the person, meet them where they're at, no matter right. at what point in their spiritual journey or religious journey, that we're able to understand what informs where mm -hmm. they are right now, like, you know, um, psycho, spiritual, social, all of those elements. So if we're looking at the MDiv in Islamic chaplaincy, for example, if you're looking at a curriculum, we'll have mm -hmm. um, classes in theology, we'll right. have classes on psychology, we'll have mm -hmm. classes of counseling, Mm. Um, on counseling, rather, um, we're studying, you know, we're studying what we call in chaplaincy, the living human document. So in other words, every single person is a living human document. Mm. So their story is, is going to continue to be written. It is right. unfolding right in front of us. Mm -hmm. The pen hasn't been lifted yet for, right. for them in, in that way, in their, in their personal narrative. So what we're doing is, is we're just like we would any sacred text, any text that is going to inform us about something. Mm -hmm. We analyze it. We spend time with it. We're really reading closely. We're trying to read in between the lines. That's what I'm doing when, when I'm sitting with somebody and they're sharing with me their story. Um, mm -hmm. If they have any spiritual questions, doubts, mm -hmm. um, if they're reevaluating their spiritual truths, or if they're just wondering if God is listening to their prayers. So those are mm -hmm. all kinds of topics that we explore. Right. And I want to get into deeper into that. But before I do, I want to ask you, and you said all of this conspired within the past five years. How, Sundas? How did this happen? How did you end up becoming a chaplain? Um, so my, my origin story goes that um, <laughs> back in like 2012, Oof, I want to say it was like 2012, 2013, mm. my family and I attended a summer camp, mm. like a Muslim family summer camp yeah. um, for a week. And mm. uh, at that camp, they had invited a Muslim chaplain from Princeton University. His oh. name was Chaplain Sohaib Sultan. Mm -hmm. God have mercy on his soul. He passed away last year from cancer mm. um, in his early 40s. But um, when I met Chaplain Sohaib, mm. I... If you, if you put me on a timeline by then, I had my both kids. They were both, mm. you know, fairly young elementary school. Um, and I had graduated undergrad with a degree in English and creative writing. And mm. not quite sure, as you know, when you have kids, 
you don't really have time to sit there and creatively write and ponder the world right time and all of that so I was really hungry for something to do um, but I just didn't know what that was and what that looked like and I had all these seemingly disparate interests I had reading uh, appreciation for like stories Mm. I loved interfaith or multi-faith I loved hearing about people's religions and their personal journeys I loved service I loved Mm. um, right all of these things so I met Chaplain Sahib and subhanAllah like before even really saying anything, just mm. I was really struck by his um, by his state, like his just the way that he carried himself, so mm. so gentle and so mm. loving and so kind mm. and smiley and approachable. And whatever it was that he was exuding, I just was like, whatever this guy is doing in his personal or professional life, that's what I want. That's right. what I'm looking for. And so like you, I had never heard of what chaplaincy or chaplain. So I followed him um, pretty much all throughout camp and Mm. like chaplain. So, Hey, but how, what do you do? Tell me about nine to five and what does that look like? And everything he described was exactly what I had been looking for and searching for all along. But I just didn't know that it was an actual profession. And right. so he, he laid out the path for me and he said, um, you're going to look for a, a master's program. It's called Master of Divinity in Chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. You need to do that. You need to do your clinical pastoral education, which is mm-hmm. like our clinical uh, training with a supervisor and a cohort of chaplain students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, inshallah, you can get your board certification. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's kind of like the, the, the top of the list. Um, right. And alhamdulillah, I'm so happy and, and grateful to say that I got my board certification last yeah, year. Yeah, so. I, I was reading that as well. That's oh, so great. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a big, big deal for chaplains, alhamdulillah. So in any case, he he was very kind to give me mm. his uh, contact information and, and kind of help me mentor, me, help mentor me throughout uh, the next. Mm. And, and I didn't actually enroll in an MDF program until... 2016 um so it was another like maybe three years until I was actually able to do that um not because I couldn't find per se but again because of where I was in my you know life phase and and I really wanted to be home with my kids and felt like um taking on a graduate master's program uh which by the way the MDiv is is hefty um Mm. it is a 72 unit degree that's three years that is a three-year program Mm -hmm. so I, I like to mention that because I think um, historically, not I think, historically chaplains, Muslims served as chaplains in corrections facilities on campuses, um, really out of the goodness of their heart right. and to fill a void um, and to show up for people who really, really needed, right. you know, show up for Muslims who really, really needed that guidance right. and accompaniment, um, but without, you know, about without the appropriate qualifications. Right, um, right, and it was always, you know, mostly done on a volunteer basis, and you know, a law reward our um, African American brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who really, really picked up the majority of this work, right, um, and took it upon themselves to do that. Um, now, you know, in 2022, we've got uh, a handful, of some seminaries offering this degree, offering mm-hmm. programs. Um, so we we really have no excuse anymore to not be on par with our Christian, Catholic, Jewish, right. uh, Hindu uh, chaplain counterparts who are, mm. who are properly trained and educated because this is different from the traditional clergy role. So right. if somebody studied the traditional sciences mm. um, and all of that, it still isn't enough. Like it's, 
it's an awesome foundation, but mm-hmm. I'm not using fiqh right. or, you know, um, how do I explain that? Like a, a uh, Islamic jurisprudence or, yeah. I mean, it's not specifically um, like what is the Muslim ruling on it or is Islamic ruling on it? That's not what it is. I'm not, I'm not using that at, right. at all. I mean, that's like 1% of what I do, right? right. It's, it's a lot of counseling. It's a lot of being able to control oneself. It's a lot of introspection. Mm-hmm. What I loved about my CPE residency is that it, it mirrors this, this beautiful um, uh, practice that we have in Islam called muraqaba and muhasaba, which is basically mm-hmm. like self-awareness and taking oneself to account. Right. So in other right. words, part of my chaplaincy journey is unpacking all of the stuff that I'm carrying Mm. with another trained chaplain, right? My Mm. supervisor who is able to model for me what it feels like to be heard, to be listened to, just to be understood and not to be fixed, Mm. Um, to really see my potential and to really truly believe that um, God will provide for me Mm. Um, in whatever way that looks like. And right. so, um, so that's the, the CPE training, which I think like we are going out and practicing being with patients in the hospital setting. And we are also receiving from our supervisor, who is a trained chaplain, the benefits of sitting with the chaplain. So we're getting it right. both ways. We're experiencing it and we're able to kind of practice. It. And I lost my train of thought now, but I will pause. <laughs> no, um, but again, you were just telling us the process about how all of this is when you are working professionally. And you, again, you work in like multiple spheres. It's not just, just in the hospital or just in the prison system or any one thing, which is the hardest to do. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that would be my, my question. I mean, mm-hmm. which one would be the hardest to really go forth and provide that kind of service to people? It, um, you know, Shahla, we are, we are naturally inclined towards a certain role. Mm-hmm. Right? Like God has put within us passion, talent, experience, all of that. I feel like my life has prepared me. God has put me in places and in situations to prepare me mostly for the hospital setting, mm-hmm. the healthcare setting, which I love. And even right. though it's a lot of death, it's a lot of sickness, mm-hmm. it's a lot of um, just crisis in general, personal right. crisis. Right. Right. Uh, I really, really, really love it. Like that's, that's my jam. Like we can that's sit and great. talk about death all day and like <laughs> really wonderful for me for some right. really strange reason. Right. So I find actually uh, community is, is harder because mm. you're dealing with a lot of relationships, right? which can get, as we know, very complex and complicated. Um, and also what, uh, what is different about community chaplaincy and how I provide community chaplaincy, I should say, is that um, I provide office hours for free through a third space Muslim organization here in Southern California called the Medjris. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have conversations with people um, and, and kind of like pastoral conversations or sessions. Right. And this is um, for free. This is my way of taking my because I don't see as many Muslims as I would like at the hospital. Right. I'm like, I, I want Muslims to experience chaplaincy and, and being right. with chaplains and, and knowing what that would um, entail. Um, and so I've been I wanna, trained. I want to ask, like, yeah. um, when dealing with Muslims, do you have to explain to them that I can't do what an imam does? And for anybody who doesn't know, an imam is like our uh, religious spiritual leader, but within like a religious space. So... I mean, do you have to explain that to them? And like, 
what's the what what like where do you like I can't I can't give you this information. There's uh I I'm I'm always very happy to say I don't know, right? That's number one. But number <laughs> right. two, when I walk into the room, chaplain doesn't resonate with a lot right. of um at least our like our maybe our parents' age or the older right. generation, first wave of immigrants are like right. chapel what? Like who are you? Are you what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I even I can't I I can't figure this one out. I even get like so much suspicion that they're like, are you Muslim? Oh my and gosh. <laughs> I walked into your room. I'm wearing hijab. I said salams. I'm yeah. using inshallah, mashallah, alhamdulillah. Like they're still like, and that speaks to, I think, the roots of chaplaincy, which right. are, I mean, it does, it is born out of a Christian tradition. And so right. I think there's a fear of proselytization or something like that. So right. there are people who are on a mission and they're really good at utilizing those Islamic terms to get in the room, right? So oh. I have to tread really carefully. And and right. what's interesting is with some Muslims who aren't practicing mm. for whatever reason, um, I also have to note that my my presence, my uh, whatever I'm 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 capturing in terms appearance. of the, appearance. Appearance, thank yeah. you. Uh, can be triggering for them. Right, right. So if I'm, you know, it really, you really have to be careful or really right. being paying attention to that. So I, I give my little spiel. I say, mostly I use terms that are just very general and familiar. Yeah. Um, I'm here to help support you. I know being mm. in the hospital can be very difficult, right. um, very confusing at times. Um, you're like my family here. Uh, please allow me to serve you. And I, I, you know, I'm always offering something like, can I get you a blanket? Can I get you a tea or some water? Mm to get, put them at ease and help them understand that my role is not, uh, my role is really to host them, like is really to, right. to see what their needs are emotionally, spiritually, try and fulfill that as much as possible. So if I do get a question, you know, mm. that I'm not prepared to answer, I, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm connected to um, fuqaha and, and shiuch and imams, those right. who do have the answers in our Muslim community here locally who mm-hmm. are very, very responsive by text or phone call and so are mm-hmm. always happy to to fill in those blanks for me. Um, but right. again, that's that's just small, tiny part of what I do. Um, okay. It really is about like grief support, crisis support. Um, yeah. And if I had to like, like give you a scenario, like in situations, especially in hospitals, there's so much like pain, as you had mentioned, death, but on like before that there are patients who are in extremely dire situations there's a lot of pain and heartbreak in a hospital um how do you support somebody like if i had to give one example somebody who has cancer that will be fatal like they're there in a lot of pain and at the at the and i hate to even put it that that way but at the door of death basically how does a chaplain provide support for that? Uh, when somebody is in a lot of pain, it's mm. hard for them to have any sort of uh, cerebral conversation. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for them to even muster up the energy to do their prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I step in as somebody who can just be present with them. Mm. What I mean by that is um, 
for the patient themselves, it's about just holding their hand. It's about um, just a, a physical presence in the room where they don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything, but they know that somebody is there. I, if they're somebody of faith, I may be praying for them silently just for some ease, um, just to kind of bring the angels into the room. Mm-hmm. Um, where there are family members around, um, mm-hmm. I'm supporting them as well. So I'm you know, being the go-between um, for them and for staff. I'm doing life review with them. So mm-hmm. like, you know, tell me about your loved one. Talk to me about who they are as a person. Um, let's talk about your grief. Um, mm-hmm. how, is, how is your life going to change because of this? What role did this person play in your life that's now going to be missing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like not, not afraid and not uncomfortable to um, get into those topics that people may otherwise feel really uncomfortable to discuss or not want to make the other person feel bad or feel worse. I'm not trying to make it better. So there's this understanding that um, that grief period is sacred. Those right. moments are sacred. So also reminding the family and encouraging them to talk to their loved one, to mm-hmm. hold their hand. So I'm kind of like moving around the room, trying to be as non-obvious, like a what's the word I'm looking for as subtle as possible right kind of in the background and and guiding things bringing things in for them um I've had patients where really uh the silent present presence Mm -hmm. is really what they need so I remember a woman who came into the emergency department and um, they called me in because they said she was really emotional and they they know that she's been triggered because her husband passed away in the same emergency department a year ago oh, wow. and she was coming in for something. So just right. the whole, I mean, she was completely overwhelmed with memories and, mm-hmm. and that, that as we know, grief has no timeline. So right. she was very right. much fresh in her grief even a year right. later. Um, and so I, I came into the room and, and she was crying and she looks at me and I looked at her and I just asked for permission if it was okay to sit. And she, she gave me that permission. I sat down next to her and I just kind of smoothed her arm um, as she continued to cry and I didn't, you know, I didn't poke around for details. Um, mm. I didn't ask her, tell me her story. I didn't need details at that moment. It wasn't right. data that I needed of how she was feeling. She was just in grief and that's okay. That's totally natural and common. And there's nothing I'm going to do or say that is going to fix it. So it's mm. just about being with somebody and letting them know you're not alone. In this. Right. So I sat with her for a good 40 minutes where she cried mm. and I just sat. And if anybody were to look in the room, we're not talking, Mm. we're not engaging any sort of deep discussion, but there's this um, non-anxious presence that a Mm. chaplain brings in. So I'm not bothered by her crying. It doesn't make Mm. me uncomfortable because that's our training, right? Right. Um, There's my theological understanding and my kind of psychological understanding of what's going on and what she's going through or could be going through. Um, And I just held her hand and uh, when she wanted tissues, I handed her tissue and really she cried it, cried it, cried it out. Um, and then you can see progressively her kind of gradually getting uh, more peaceful. The crying started mm. to stop. And she just kind of took a deep breath at one point and closed her eyes and leaned back in the bed and was just like at peace mm. and starting to fall asleep. And that's when, um, you know, I waited until she was in deep sleep and then I, I let myself out of the room. And and that's just a small example. I mean, it doesn't look like much to the outside person. Right. But for those of us who have experienced grief, um, who have been in those moments, oftentimes we're not looking for someone to to talk at us, right? right. Or to tell us how to make it better. It's just we need somebody to bear witness to our pain and our suffering. Right. 
and that's really the most of it. So there's a, a verse in there's a verse in the Quran where God is describing the mission of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, and he calls him um, a witnesser. Mm. So we sent you as a somebody who bears witness, mm. and then somebody who gives good news, and somebody who also provides guidance and like caution to people. But look at the order of it, right? Right. right. First, the prophet is called to witness. So you mm. can't really do the giving of good news or giving hopeful words to people or even cautioning them or giving them guidance for something mm -hmm. until that first portion is, is completed. And that may take many sessions or many conversations over until the person truly feels heard and seen. Right. And then perhaps we can step in with, with some sort of intervention, right? But usually what happens is we bypass the first part right. and we're really, really quick to want to like make it nice again and make them stop mm. crying and all of that. So that, that's one part of our training. Right? That's one example. Um, mm -hmm. and, and at the end of life, you know, when somebody is on, on their deathbed, um, it really is, is about family care. It's about facilitating. It's if they need any rituals, if they need me to call a priest for anointing, Mm -hmm. um, if they need me to call a rabbi for specific prayers and things, that's part of my job as well. Like if I, I'm not an embodiment of all the faiths put together, right, there's certain right. things that I just can't do, but it's part of my job to be able to connect them with somebody in the community who can. Anything that will bring them comfort, if it's right. just you know, talking about their cat or pointing out a cat in a framed picture, um, mm. um, whatever is going to bring them comfort and meaning, that's, that's my job. Mm. So, and the thing is, you work with you don't just work with muslims and that's the other part i mean you are uh, i mean you're visibly muslim and when there's you enter into a room where the other person is not muslim or perhaps of another faith um do you receive pushback for that yes never rudely mm -hmm. thank god <laughs> um it's always polite pushback which is nice I only remember one person who uh, they made it clear that they didn't want anything to do with me. And that was fine. Mm. Uh, it was just a, I found him asleep uh, on a chair outside one of the units. Mm. And so I went into the unit and brought out one of the warm blankets and I just mm. kind of put it on him very gently. And he woke up and he was just like super upset. Uh. And uh, um, sorry, I'll just leave now. So we never really know what, what's going on with people, right? Right. Um, for for non-Muslims who um, see me and I'm not quite what they're expecting when they call right. the chaplain, they will politely ask if there is uh, somebody of their own faith tradition, which right. I'm again really happy to facilitate, and I can let right. them know that you know our on-call chaplain starts at this time, and they're whatever faith would they be willing to wait until that time? Because right. I'm I'm the chaplain in charge during these hours, and so right. you know it's just me. Or is there somebody who I can call for you um, mm -hmm. or a church or a parish or whatnot who I can get in touch with? Um, so I will facilitate that. Um, otherwise, if they don't ask for another chaplain, their faith mm -hmm. tradition, but you can tell that they're just unsure. Right. Um, you know, I will assess the situation and, and lead the conversation very delicately. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember very clearly one patient who was elderly and they had asked me to come in and talk to him because he was on his way into hospice, mm. which means he was towards the end of life and he chose to discontinue any sort of treatment for his illness right. and just let it kind of take its course. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm sure he had a lot to unpack. And so 
when I went into the room, he immediately questioned me about you know, what version of the Bible do I read and what do I think of the Holy Spirit? Right. And, uh, and then I, again, asked for permission. Is this a good time to visit? And I sit down and he gave me permission. So I sat down with him and he began to tell me how the Quran is the devil's book and the prophet is such and such and all of that. And so right. all, all along, right, we're, as chaplains, again, we're trained to do this self-awareness piece. So I right. was aware of what was coming up inside of me of like, right. okay, that's hurting. Ow, that hurts. Ouch. Right. Um, and then that's really, hard. So those are like, it's harsh. Yeah. It's, it's harsh really hard. Um, someone attacking mm, what is like most meaningful to you. It's right. like somebody telling your baby, telling you that your baby's super ugly. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. you're like, no, it's not. Um, so I was aware of that and like tracking, like, okay, how much more of this can I stand? Or, right. or if I wasn't able to bear it, I needed to leave the room. Right. Because right. our number one, like in Islam, our number one maxim is do no harm. Right. So if if his if my reaction to what he was saying was going to do him harm, I need to mm. because everyone deserves compassion. Right. Maybe not for me, but everyone deserves it. But in any case, I, I was able to contract myself like baby. Take a deep breath. Where can mm. we go with this? Um, and we ended up having. Uh, I I said I um, I noticed that uh, that the Bible and your scripture um, are very important for you. Mm. And he said, Oh yes, absolutely. And he went on about, you know, what his favorite Bible verses were. And then he pulled out his phone and he began to show me that he was a carpenter. Mm. And what he does in his um, kind of like free time and his passion is that he carves out certain words or um, verses from scripture mm. into these beautiful woodwork, and beautiful things that you can put up at home or in your mantle, um, really beautifully done. And, and he gives them away for free. He doesn't even sell them. That's part mm. of his like just what makes him happy and brings him right. joy. And then from there, we talked about his family. And from there, mm. we talked about a little bit more about his life. And so I ended up sitting for an hour with him in the room. And by the end of the conversation, you know, there was an exchange of God bless you and mm. thank you so much. And I said, you know, we do have a Christian chaplain who can come in later tonight. Would you would you like me to, to bring him in? And he said, no, I think I'm good. Oh, that's so nice. You know, like, I've had experiences like that more mm. than I have once, like the man in the chair who <laughs> said some not very nice things. But um, overall, that's what I really love about my job is that, mm. you know, I I don't want to call it dawah in the way of like, we're not missionaries. We're not trying to convert mm. anybody into a faith. But I think we would be remiss if we did not also name that post 9-11 Mm. You know, Muslims have had to tread very carefully in the space and have right. had to carry themselves, um, you know, very intentionally, right. knowing that eyes are on us, right. um, not knowing what the other people have learned about us or our faith and our religion, um, what they believed and, and what kind of experiences they've had personally. Right. Um, so what I do in my work is that I'm able to, I don't even like the word teach, but I'm, I'm able to show something different about Islamic and Muslims to people mm. without having to name my five pillars and six articles of faith. And right. there's like theology behind it. And like, oh, look, we are all the same. We're not. But mm. can I serve you? And can I show you a little bit of love while you're here in the hospital? Right. Um, because that's what my faith teaches me. Right. And somebody who experiences that, I mean, service to other people is the key to the heart. It really right. is. And I'm not coming in with an agenda or trying to convert again. That's not at all. Like I, I could not care less, but like, I'm, I'm really not into that. I'm not a missionary. 
that's not um, the main goal of what you do. So no, no. In, in fact, it's number one rule, like no proselytization. I could lose right. my job. Right. I cannot, I cannot even, like there can't even be a hint of it, right? Right. And so that's why I even tell Muslim, Muslim community members of mine, if you're at a hospital and there isn't a Muslim chaplain, call the chaplain anyway, because right. if they're trained well enough, right. they can do for you what I do for non-Muslim chaplain, non-Muslim patients. They can at least, at least give you that emotional support, that listening, that being present and that facilitating of like, oh, you need a prayer space? Okay, that's my job to find you one. If you need an imam or somebody to come and pray with you, I can get them on the phone or I can see mm. if somebody would be willing to come or if we can have volunteers. I mean, that's the role of the chaplain. So also let's, as Muslims, open mm. ourselves up to different experiences and understand right. that not everybody is out to convert us. There are people who are and who do. So like our intuition is always good as a radar on that. But um, again, a proper chaplain, chaplain that's not is that's not what they're there to do. Um, And if I had to like ask you if somebody they're listening to this, they're watching this and they're like, I really love what Sundas and other Muslim chaplains are doing. um, I think, A, what is it that they have to keep in consideration before they even begin like getting into chaplaincy? Because as you'd mentioned, it's not something that everybody is made for. Oh, I recognize that it is a professional field. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going back to my earlier point, yes, uh, maybe historically because of the lack of programs and uh, degrees that were available to Muslims uh, or the lack of knowledge, um, it was a volunteer role. But mm. now, um, again, we really have no excuse. So after going through the Masters of Divinity, Master of Divinity degree and doing the CPE residency, which is a year long, and then mm. doing you know 2,000 hours on top of that for uh, work so that it can inform my board certification process, which took me a year. Mm. And it has like you know over 30 competencies that you have to write essays on and go in front of a committee and they kind of quiz you on things and ask you about certain stories and how you handle them and encounters. It's a legit field. And so, you know, a weekend seminar on chaplaincy 101 is not enough right, to get right. you into chaplaincy. So I think number one is recognizing like, yes, it's a financial and it's a time investment. Right. Um, and so um, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. How would you encourage somebody to get into chaplaincy and what can they expect from it? Uh, again, this is no small feat and it's not something that everybody it's that everybody's built for. I would say, um, you know, again, there's no proselytizing. So we don't enter into chaplaincy to try to change anybody, whether that's right. their religion um, they're where they are on their path, um, basically anything, right? Um, what I would say is, um, I grabbed the books, um, the books. So this came out actually just a few months ago, Mantle of Mercy, America. This is a great starting point because what this is, is an anthology. It's a collection of 30 ish essays written by Muslim chaplains Mm -hmm. from, uh, across the U S and Canada. And, and basically giving their personal experience, their first person experience of their chaplaincy journey and their career. So you will find from corrections facilities, women, female chaplains in military, 
obviously campus, healthcare, community, all of those. If you're really, if you're really passionate about chaplaincy but not sure quite where you want to be, um, this is a great place to start to kind of get a sense of, of what it is. Um, I would say, again, um, expecting the education and training. Please, 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 please don't skip CPE, clinical pastoral education. That is where like the rubber meets the road. That's where all the theory that we learned in like the master's degree and the graduate degree, even the Islamic sciences um, really come into play. So you're really doing practical theology. Um, and what's interesting about CPE is it was actually born out of a, a I believe he was a pastor himself or he was in seminary, Christian. Um, his name was Antoine Boisen and uh, he was admitted into a mental hospital. And oh, wow. Yeah. He was studying theology or teaching theology at the seminary, and he himself was a patient in a mental hospital. And what he realized was having conversations with a lot of the patients in the mental hospital, that an integral part of their healing, which is their, their spiritual connection to God and the divine or otherwise was missing. Right, right. And so he was like, we are not doing these people service by right. reconnecting them to what is ultimately healing. Right. And then realizing for himself, that was a key part of his own um, ability to overcome his own you know, mental illness in his journey. So he went mm -hmm. back to the seminary oh, and I wow. think he was actually a professor. He wasn't a student there, um, a longtime pastor. And he said, here's what we're going to do. All of you students here in the seminary, you're going to take a semester and spend it at the hospital. Mm. And you're going to sit with these patients. You're going to listen to them. And you're going to figure out how to take the theology that you've been studying from the Bible and the scripture. Right. And apply it. Right. right. And so that's how CPE was born. So CPE mm -hmm. is traditionally done in a hospital setting, which is right. amazing because like an airport in the hospital, you're getting intersection of all types of people. Right. I mean, you will have a cross section of society at whatever hospital you're at. So you are sitting with a wide variety of people, which gives mm -hmm. you really good practice, right? And being able to sit with different sorts of stories and folks. Um, so please, please don't skip over that part. Right. Um, right. So number one, the, the education, that training piece, um, figuring out perhaps what part of chaplaincy you would want to be a part of, and then not coming in with any sort of agenda to change anybody. Um, having a love for for people, like a deep, deep love for people that stems out of your love for your Lord. Um, and I would say the last thing is make sure you have a good support system. Mm. And I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, people who can babysit your kids, but right. I'm talking about um, the things that you will experience and mm. uh, the crises that will emerge um, really, really needs a good, solid group of people who you can go back and process that. Right. And right. make sure they're Muslim. Like you make, will have. Make, oh, make sure they're Muslim. Sure they're I'm Muslim. sorry. Make yeah. sure that the support group of people who can help you process it, whether it's imams, whether it's therapists, whether right. it's a good Muslim, like people who have foundationals, um, who, who have a good hold on the religion. Right. And why right. bad things occur and things like that and can help you work through kind of those harder questions. That's right. really, really important, especially as you're doing your education and training. Right. Um, in CPE, because you, it, some things that you see and experience can really rock your world right. and you don't want to drown, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're trying to, to, you know, tread water alongside other people who are drowning. If you don't got your stuff, if you don't have your stuff figured out, if you don't have your life sport jacket on, you will drown too. So just right. being really aware, like if you have doubts or if you feel like you're in between fates or, or not really quite figured it out yet, 
do that work first. Do right. that work first and then go into No, thank you so much, Chaplain Sundus Khulaki. I mean, um, please tell my audience where they can find your books and where can they find you, get in touch with you if they have questions or anything that if they need your services. I would be more than happy to. So I've got um, my book, Musings of a Muslim Chaplain. This is available on Amazon. It's self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, and this basically is a, is a short book and it just chronicles like my time in CPE and it's mostly right. written about um like patient stories and vignettes and my reflections on it. So you can see kind of like my own personal journey through this. Um, Mantle of Mercy, this book is on um, is Amazon as well, but I think for, I think it's still off, 40% off at Templeton um, is the publishing house. And so Templeton's website, you can find this um, available. And if you would like to get in touch with me, um, I am on social media. Facebook is my name. And then on Instagram, it is by underscore the pen. Um, and I'm, I'm alhamdulillah, responsive on messages and we can figure out where to go from there. Um, yeah, we can figure out where to go from there. Thank you so much, Sundas, for being Thank with you. us, being here and telling us about the important work that you do for your community. I mean, not just the Muslim community, but the community at large. I think it's so important for people to see this and really understand the roles that chaplains like have in the well-being. Because again, when people think about well-being, it's usually either mental or physical. Um, you do a lot of, not just like mental, but also a sort of spiritual healing for people. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you so much for what you do and for being here with us and for all the people who are listening to us and who are watching us on YouTube. Thank you so much for for joining us. So until next time, y'all take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.